And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, you've heard of augmented reality and virtual reality and all kinds of reality, but the reality is, is I'm not sure that most people really understand what any of that is, what it means, how it works, or any of that. So overall, this is all related to visualization technology. Say that three times real fast. Visualization technology, visualization. All right, I'll get it. I'll get it by the end of the show. Now, you know, with me today, I've got someone that's going to really help with that. Uh, a, a Kansas City company that is making moves and getting stuff done. Now, before I do that introduction, a quick reminder that as a business owner, paying and taking care of your team can be tough, especially now. That's why Gusto built easy to use payroll benefits, onboarding and HR tools. Even better, our listeners get three months free when you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. That's gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Now I mentioned that I have someone here today that is an expert at visualization technology. So with me today, I've got Jasper, Jasper Malarney, who is the co-founder of Epigraph. If you want to learn more about Epigraph, there's a link in the show notes or go to epigraph.us. Well, let's just go ahead and give Jasper a good old startup hustle. Welcome, Jasper. What's up? Hi, not much. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm you know I'm really interested to to learn more about visualization technology because like as I said, I think it's something that a lot of people don't understand. Now, uh, nothing is explained better uh, or than it can be by the founders themselves. So why don't you give us a little bit of info about your backstory? Sure, sure. So uh, I actually come from an ad tech background. So I worked for a company called Ad Knowledge that's broke up into lots of different companies after that, but. So been in the digital advertising space for, oh, I don't know, 12 years or so uh, before making the leap over to, to this technology. So, you know, had been through a couple of watershed moments in that space, namely things like the growth of search, retargeting, social, uh, was looking for what was next and realized that there is a move toward 3D as the dominant media type. Uh, and just to, to get philosophical for a second, in nature, everything is three-dimensional, right? So as beings, we sort of evolved with three-dimensional information. Uh, Two-dimensional information is, a, is only there as a result of a technical constraint. And some of those constraints are now falling away, right? And augmented reality is kind of the first piece of that that we're all seeing. And you know, we, we've probably, most, most people watching would have played with it on their phone a little bit, seen apps from Ikea and, and, and companies like that. Uh, but the overall spatial computing world, which is kind of what fuels this, uh, is growing rapidly. Uh, we expect smart glasses to be 
a watershed moment in technology and in the experience of media. So decided to build a company around that future and help you know, the companies that got flat-footed by things like social get ahead of the game when it came to 3D. So at Epigraph, I mean, what's the, what's the main problem that you're solving? Yeah, yeah, great question. So my co-founders come from a visualization background, uh, mainly in architecture. So they were doing work uh, in architectural visualization, doing preview films for new construction. So we've done some work locally. Most of it is not. Uh, in looking at their skill sets and, and figuring out where we could take that when it came to 3D media, we started with AR. So we went to a couple of furniture companies with demos, said, you know, had very high quality AR demos and managed to close those deals. Uh, a few months into doing that, we realized that imagery and things like 360 product viewers were a side effect of that work, right? We were making photorealistic 3D objects. Uh, that could easily be converted into those formats. So we deployed a catalog solution where instead of just going out and saying, we'll do your AR, we can now do you know, contactless photography, which is particularly relevant right now, uh, and we can do a full catalog. So if you have 30,000 unique items in all the various colors and finishes that you produce, instead of manufacturing physical objects and generating and, and taking photographs, we can generate those programmatically, same with 360 product viewers, and then also with AR. So that's what, when we think of visualization technology as a whole, it is using manufacturing data to create visual assets, visual content for manufacturers and brands. So instead of manufacturing and photographing something, you know, we use it with the same data they send to manufacturers. That's right. I might, I might not, might not be at your level on this. So create, <laughs> you're creating renders. Are these like renders of, of things that, so you're like 3d imagery of products or different stuff without actually using the product to create the image? Yes. Yeah. So hmm. look, rendering, rendering is certainly a part of it. And that's a whole sort of technology stack that's changing rapidly right now too. So yeah, the company would send us data. Uh, anything from a CAD file, if they're using CAD in manufacturing, to a cut sheet. You know, we work with the restoration hardware. They send us cut sheets because they don't have CAD. We use that data to make a photorealistic 3D object. We can then export that in a variety of formats. So that might be just on white images, or it could be AR or an interactive 3D experience of some sort. So is the efficiency that's created there just not needing to have the the item like say well I saw Yamaha was one of the companies on your website so I don't know now I used to have experience because I worked in the music industry so Yamaha makes everything from motorcycles to boat engines to to almost 10 billion dollars worth of musical instruments a year yeah. so I would imagine that in some cases and they're worldwide they make this stuff off like i mean so can you give an example of something you did with them like or how how you how you did it sure yeah they're actually transitioning uh for av which is what we're working on currently um sound bars turntables things like that mm -hmm. they're moving that to being uh all created with technology uh with our technology rather than using physical photographs when possible now there are some images lifestyle images where you have people where you're still going to use a, a photographer, 
But for everything else, you can create imagery that's indiscernible from an actual photograph using our technology. Um, and yeah, the, the savings there are, you know, there's shipping, product waste, just general time, all of those other things that, that go into a physical photo shoot, uh, especially when that photo shoot needs to be in a specific environment. So if you have to book, you know, a modern upscale home, well, that's going to take some time and cost. We can make one virtually quite easily. That's interesting. And, you know, you think about that and I know you said you were working with, you know, turntables and different stuff. They call that their MI or musical instrument yeah, division. Yeah. And, you know, they have so many different, so many different things that they make. Uh, and you talk about just the shipping, the the coordination. I mean, that I would imagine that is, uh, uh, I, I have no idea really what goes into that. I, I know that everything that you see online sells better Yeah, when you yeah. have, a realistic view of it and you know it's even like uh an example is that well the soundboard that i'm using right now for this show uh there was a different one i wanted to buy it didn't have an image of it it didn't show me the back i wanted to just see the back of it you yeah, know like yeah. what can i plug into this and it didn't have that so i bought a different one and it was one that showed the whole thing now that wasn't in in 3d, but you know, some of that is, I, I find it to be really interesting. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is to get a decent photograph of anything. I mean, yeah, just of anything yeah. in general, I mean, a product in it. I was uh, talking to one of our listeners. Uh, it was actually Heather Steppy over at the Casey hemp company. And she was telling me how, what a pain in the ass it was to just photograph some of their products. Cause they were trying to do some just some stuff for their web store. And, you know, they were, she was having a hell of a time doing it because it was, it was lighting and cameras and different stuff like that. So uh, that's, that's interesting. Now, yeah. in yeah. regards to what, what you guys are doing, what's the, ch what's the most challenging part of getting that done? Like, what's the, I mean, it's one, like I said at the, at the beginning of the show, I think people have come to expect a lot of this, but they don't realize what goes into it. So what kind of, what kind of mountain did you have to climb? time <laughs> or have to destroy to get to where you are now yeah so i can give a couple of use cases so uh, just to go back into yamaha you know yamaha makes you know they're the biggest manufacturer of pianos in the world right uh Correct. pianos are very difficult to size in a space um difficult to photograph you know there, there are lots of challenges there so we're in late stage talks with them to build augmented reality for all of their pianos and we, we've done demos things like that Big challenge there is an object like a piano that needs to be represented in very, very high quality. Uh, there's a, a challenge getting the just the file to fit the requirements of the web AR infrastructure that's out there. So there's, there's Apple's uh, AR kit infrastructure and, and AR core on Android. They have different sets of requirements. You know, you've got to take the 3D model. Well, first you hope the manufacturer has a 3D model. If they don't, you have to create one. And then you have to make the uh, end result high quality enough to represent that product in AR. So that's that's the AR challenge. With uh, things like photographs, especially when you're thinking about a, a huge product line, if you have 30,000 objects, so Spectrum Brands who makes Quickset and basically a lot of brands that you would see at Home Depot and Lowe's and stores like that, so they have you know, 36,000 unique items in their catalog. We built a system that programmatically creates images of those products, applying different finishes and things like that. And that sounds like an easy copy paste, but many of them have you know, brush marks and all these nuances within them. 
So not only do you have to take in data, um, prepare it in a way that's appropriate for that pipeline and then export those items, you have to QA it and do all these other, other um, th there are a lot of other touch points within that that are challenges too. Our kind of holy grail is to have a system where we can bring in that data and export photorealistic content to customers without ever touching it. So that's something that we're working toward, sort of, you know, hacking through each of those challenges on the way as we build our technology stack. Yeah, it's it's interesting you used a piano as an example because that's the that's actually the business I was in for a while when I was younger. I I uh, ran a chain of Yamaha piano stores. And yeah, probably. And then, <laughs> and then later I, and after that, I went to work for Roland, which is Yamaha's biggest competitor and the, the largest uh, manufacturer of electronic musical instruments. But you kind of know the same people. It's not a huge industry, but uh, you know, you talk about an example in shipping costs. Well, piano is a great example because that's a specialty delivery. Yeah. So you talk about, you're talking about a piano that might be six feet long is hundreds of pounds. And then yeah. once you get it out of its packaging, it requires a different kind of delivery to get it somewhere else. Because yeah. there's the kind, there's the kind when it's in the crate, and then there's the the kind in the crate, and you got to have people that know what they're doing, to, and you know, like a whole lot of different things. And then you have a great example with the finish. So those things may come in six to eight different, you know, finishes, which the purchaser does care about what that yeah, looks like. Yeah. Like what, what is this a dark oak? Is it a light oak? Does, you know, what's the grain look like? And you're like, wow. And if you had to, you know, take a picture of every single one of those and every single size that they make, and I've been away from that industry for 15 years, but yeah, I mean, that would be, it would be pretty involved. And, uh, you know, I had, you think about that and that would be, now Yamaha also makes things like so flutes would a flute yeah. would be easy to ship. You could just have the U.S. Postal Service bring the flute on by, and then you could send it back the way it was. But yeah, that's that's a, a great a great example. Um, so now, yeah, just, just to just to go into that just for a second. So think about sure. the swatch that you get when you're selling a piano, right? Like, so the dealer would give you a small wooden swatch, and you're supposed to bring that home and see which type of walnut or whatever finish you want it in. Uh, you also might get a piece of paper that you can put on the floor to figure out the best place mm -hmm. for your grand piano. Yep. AR does all of that with one URL, right? User clicks, they can drop it in their room, they can compare the different finishes, they can take a photograph of it if they want to. And it also gives them an emotional connection to that object being in their home already that we've found particularly relevant in furniture. You know, conversion rates are off the charts for people who interact with AR, and we think that's the mm -hmm. reason why. Uh, and they've actually gone up post-pandemic. People can't go to stores. They're creating that experience themselves in home and converting there instead, which has been a really interesting uh, thing to watch. You know, one of the things, and I, and I learned about the complexity of this uh, from Joel Tepley, who I, I yeah. feel you probably know um, at Cambrian. And they do some stuff that's, you know, they make a paint app for the paint companies that... And I, you know, once he, if you spend, if you sit down and talk to Joel for five minutes, you realize that you might not be as smart as you thought you were. Because, <laughs> um, you know, but the, he, he's the one that really helped me understand like computer vision and the level of complexity that comes with, you know, it's just, it's just trying to mimic our own brain. 
Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you, and what you said at the beginning is, you know, we see everything in 3D. Well, computers are 2D and they don't. So you hear about neural networks and all this different stuff and like uh, things that, you, you know, you mentioned those little those little swatches of, of, of wood or fabric or whatever. Well, they look different with different light shining on them. Yeah. And I mean, what, what looked like a light green paint when you get it up on the wall where there isn't a light shining might be a dark green. And, uh, you know, is that do you have to deal with that, too? Like, or, or is your stuff as complex as having like neural networks and things like that? Or is that only like is that only a computer vision thing? Yeah, so we, you know, I, I, I've met Joel a couple of times briefly. I, I'm familiar with the company and, and what they do, and they're, they're extremely smart. And, and the, the piece of this that they solve is something that we actually didn't look at to solve. Like we, we figured out where else in that chain we could possibly be. So um, we looked at this from a, an e-commerce product catalog perspective, right? Like what's it going to be like to be a furniture uh, brand in 10 years when half of your traffic comes from smart glasses, right? And we felt that the platforms themselves were going to solve some of those problems, right? So things like occlusion that Google solved a few months ago, where you can drop a uh, coffee table in your room and it will block out the right things and let, let others, you know, block it. So uh, we decided not to try to solve that piece of it um, because we figured the platforms would. So the really difficult part then is how do you create content? How do you absorb information from each of those brands, build it in a way that presents their products appropriately, um, you know, build a system that's scalable for that. Um, you know, we've, we've built out our own platform content management system as well. That's hard. Like, you know, you think of content management systems as kind of a commodity. Well, if you're dealing with AR zip files and they're quite large and you have to deal with, you know, on device performance, it's pretty difficult actually. So the, we solve those pieces instead of the, I guess, in-room spatial computing pieces that the Cambrian uh, went after, which, and they've done, they did really well. I mean, they're, they're really impressive. Yeah. And they, they're doing, definitely doing something different than you are. Cause they have to like have someone take a picture of, of well, it's not totally different, but it's, the products are, I would think would be a little more straightforward on some level, because like you said, there's some specs and some, well, I, I don't want to simplify it because I know it's not I know it's not uh, as straightforward as it sounds. Now, speaking of straightforward, I just want to take a minute and shout out to all the startups out there because it's hard balancing your bottom line and taking care of a team. And that's why Gusto built an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll benefits and more. Automatic payroll tax filing, simple direct deposits, a free health insurance administration, 401k, onboarding tools, you name it, Gusto made it simple. And right now, you can get three months free. Once you're on your first payroll, all you have to do is go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. That's once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There is a link in the show notes. Now, I believe you told me before the show started, you use Gusto. We do. Yeah. Actually, oh. the, the paycheck protection forgiveness was really, really good through them. Uh, was kind of intimidated by that process just because, you know, it's, it's, it was a challenge at the beginning and then at the end, but uh, they made it super easy. Yeah, we've used them kind of since inception, actually. So, so yeah. That's cool. Big gusto yeah, it's, you know, 
we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, I'm a big advocate, you know, 15 years ago, I would have, I tried to do everything myself and try to learn everything myself. And, uh, now that I'm older and wiser, um, I'm not old, I'm experienced by the way. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, learning like this, this little things like that. I mean, once I, I really got my arms around like the complexity and like all the crap you have to do just to have employees. I was like, okay, this is way, I I never want to do that in house. Yeah. Like I have no desire. (laughs) It's not the right way to do it. So go check out what Gusto has to offer now. Um, you know, o- overall, uh, growing your business required some kind of plan. Uh, how did you plan for all this? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'd been part of a high growth company before. So Sada sort of saw some of the things that it that it took. Um, and a lot of it, look, for, for companies like ours, a lot of it is around business model and figuring out if you can make that business model actually work with a few clients once you gain traction, you, you go from there. Um, and, and one important thing that we did there too is we looked to feedback from the market, right? We started in AR, then we were told about another problem we could solve. We built that and have, have since grown that to be a, a pretty substantial part of the business. Um, overall planning, it's, it's interesting that you're asking me that now. Uh, we, we just went through a capital raise uh, at the end of October through Fountain Innovation Fund. Uh, well, Fatten Innovation Fund led it, and we had some private investors uh, follow on with them. So now we're planning for scale and figuring out, as, as I said just you know, at the beginning, all the boring stuff, right? So how do we set up our internal Kanban system to make sure everybody is using it properly? You know, how do we put together an attribute map, which is a, a system I'm a huge fan of? Um, you know, how do you detail out all the touch points with customers to, to ensure customer success? That's all the stuff that I'm working on. Um, over the past few weeks so that when we hire people, we have all those systems in place to plug them into rather than having them fend for themselves with the kind of mayhem of systems that a, a typical startup might have. Um, so hopefully that answers the question. I mean, if you mean planning from a couple of years ago, it was let's find something we can sell profitably because we're bootstrapped. <laughs> and uh, And that's what we did. So now we're getting more formal about that. So one one thing about plans in early stage businesses is they're always wrong. Yeah. So what 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 was something looking back? What was something about your plan that was just like you're, if you look back at it now, you're like either you, you think, man, I can't believe we thought that would work, or man, we blew it. Yeah. So VR is the biggest one I can think of. So people group AR VR together, and there are definite similarities to how those uh, experiences are created but the use cases are night and day, right? And we early on thought, well, let's look at the problems we might be able to solve in VR. So we looked at things like police training and you know, uh, PTSD recovery is a big thing in VR. Uh, we looked at building some of those experiences and then we got to the point where we, we figured out like we, we need to have something scalable with a business model that allows us to charge recurring revenue license fees, which is core to the long-term success of the business. So yeah, the investments in VR, we bought a really expensive rig and headset. We used to demo VR all the time. Uh, We don't talk about it very much now. I mean, we do some, what people refer to as web VR, which is a panorama, you know, with hotspots and some AR interaction, but headset VR, I think is something that we yeah, maybe one of our customers will bring us back into it, but for now, it's it's not a focus at all. 
So, so sales cures ales, as I like <laughs> to say, and many other people do. I mean, how'd you, how'd you get this out to market? Like, what was the plan there? You know, and, and, and here's the thing is, is, I mean, I got to feel like this is a somewhat get, or if it's not a crowded space, it's getting crowded. Um, so, you know, I mean, how did you market or sell your products or excuse me, your service or. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, offering. So I'll say this. I mean, we, we are able to create very high quality AR experiences. So generally, if we go head to head with a competitor, you know, there's Vertebrae and SeekXR and companies like that, that will go against our quality usually wins that. Um, try to let culture and values lead. Um, part of the customer success plan I'm building is to make sure that every customer, when they interact with us, they feel good about that. And they're glad that they work with us. Right. And, and like, you don't think of those things as a competitive advantage, but they really are, especially in a crowded space. Uh, early on, um, so we actually signed up, you know, we, had, we were bootstrapping with money from the architectural visualization business. Uh, we added a couple of referral, like affiliate partners that could, that could potentially send us business. One of them brought us Blue Dot Furniture, who became our first AR client, and then we hired him, and he's now our director of business development. Um, that was our start. So getting a brand like that that has credibility in the market, that has a decent-sized catalog, and, and they are, they're not high-end, but they're, they're, they're sort of the upper end of the middle of that market, um, renowned for design and things like that. So they were a great entry point into the market. Um, and we took the work with them and went out to, you know, restoration hardware being sort of the bookend of the high end that we work with. But then mid-grade companies, Floyd Home, uh, Furnish, who we just signed up, that's a furniture rental company that that's uh, raised a lot of capital. Um, but yeah, we just closed one, gained traction from there. And yeah, in terms of our competitors, the... Yeah, it's it's really just about high quality experience, making it easy, and anticipating all of the problems they might have. So some of our competitors do images, not all do, um, but we tend to pull ahead in terms of quality and the feature set that we offer, kind of by default when working with these companies. Uh, kind of going back to the plan or prior to that, you know, raising capital is is an important part of any business, especially an early stage company. And you mentioned the Fountain Innovation Fund. And for those of you that aren't from our neck of the woods here in Kansas City, that's a newer fund that, uh, that matches. Uh, and I, I know it because we've created a match, uh, local company Stenovate. Uh, we made an investment in oh. and, and helped unlock a uh, help unlock some money from that. And that's a, a, a carry on fund. But, you know, what advice can you give to other hopeful startup founders that are, are you know, okay, so episode two of startup of, of all of startup hustle is titled getting funded sucks, because it does. Mm -hmm. I've yet to ever meet anybody. Do you disagree with that statement? First off? Um, no, I mean, that's still, that's it, still, it, it, that's still, yeah. If you don't say, <laughs> I, I, if you don't vehemently say, I disagree, then you, because it does. <laughs> it's, it's not something that I have yet to find anybody that, that really wakes up in the morning going, man, I can't wait to do this. But what's, so talk about that for a second. So, like, what, what's your advice for people that want to raise capital or something that you learned along the way? 
Sure. So I'll say this. I, I worked in VC for a short time for TradeBot here locally. They had a small VC division for a while. So I actually saw companies on the other side of the table come and pitch, and we had looked at a couple of uh, local uh, investments and acquisitions. Um, it, you know, For us, the decision to raise capital was kind of a tough one. We had bootstrapped and gotten ourselves decent traction um, you know, to the point where we could kind of pay ourselves and, and be okay. Uh, so I think that before you raise money, uh, figure out where you are in the process of gaining that traction. Uh, I think there's a temptation with some companies to have a great idea and execute a little bit and go raise capital immediately to, to capitalize upon it. That works in some, uh, some instances for us, because we knew we had direct competitors and, you know, we, we, our idea was unique to us, but not necessarily unique in the market. Uh, we thought very carefully about raising capital, uh, wanted to make sure that the terms we got were good and favorable to us and something that we could accept. Um, and, and yeah, that, I would say do it carefully. Uh, there is a attempt, there is sort of a part of the startup scene that I see where raising capital is seen as your measure of success. It's certainly a difficult thing to do. And if you can get people to sign off on your vision and what you've done, yeah, that's a, that is a measure of success. But the, at the end of the day, it's going to be your ability to create value in the market and create sort of you know, EBITDA margin from that that's going to really matter. Um, so make sure you're on the path to that at some point. I mean, it's that's absolutely key. For us, we, we decided sort of in the middle of the process that we didn't need to raise capital. We wanted to, to pour fuel on the fire because we feel like our we have timed this market quite well. And if we can execute to it a little more quickly, we can end up in a really, really good place. So we were careful about it. Um, I will say the process itself, uh, it didn't suck. It just took a really, really long time. And there was a lot of production of documents and a lot of buttoning up to do, but parts of that were productive and good as well. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, it's very validating to have somebody take a very thorough look at your business and sign off on it and write you a check. So that part was nice. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if, uh, if, uh, if Matt Watson was here on this episode, he'd be yelling right now. Cause you said something that always gets him fired up and that's, you know, a, a company's success should never be measured on the amount of capital they raise. Yeah. Like who yeah. gives a shit on some days. And like, he's so <laughs> adamant and he, he had a local publication call and want to include him on uh, as one of the city's most funded companies. And he said, no, I don't, I don't, that's not something we should be, we should be celebrating. We should be celebrating growth and profitability and, you know, your presence and impact on the local market. And I agree with him. I agree with him. I think that it's, uh, it's, it's interesting as someone that has self-funded, pretty much everything I've done as well. And, you know, yeah. with Matt as my business partner at full scale, like, and it's funny cause you know, like you, you it, it, it somehow fly below the radar for doing that. And then there's some, you know, so it's a, a very interesting thing. And I, I've, we've talked to so many people uh, on the show and off the show. And, you know, you say, I, I said, God, I didn't Jasper. I don't even know how many times I've said this. I'm like, well, you know, at some point you're going to have to sell something. So what's your plan yeah. for doing that? 
And uh, that's that's what I'm more and, and I'm much like yourself. I've been on both sides of the table and and done a lot of stuff. And I, I'm more interested to hear about what you're going to do to generate revenue than all of that. So, you know, remember, you're in the business of generating revenue, people. You got to sell something. You got to solve a problem. You got to do something that's useful, not just raise capital, because eventually that gravy train halt you have to explain it though like eventually yeah. you're like you know like hey why are you not what is your go-to-market strategy what are you doing to generate revenue what's your plan and you can get away with that for a little bit you can get a little way i mean even on some levels depending on what you're doing especially with formative technology like what you're doing you can say we're figuring that out but you eventually do have to figure it out did you have a comment i was gonna say like you know resource constraints force you to be disciplined, right? And I feel like I've seen companies take and that discipline goes away. And, you know, this is a, it's a long game and you've got to get all of those pieces, you know, just right. And if you're not, if you don't have the correct level of discipline, it's, it's, it's not going to work out very well. So, you know, having a culture that starts with that and then maybe adds fuel to the fire, you know, and we sat down and talked about it. Like we have to maintain this and we actually, we could have raised a bit more than we did, but sort of feared that it, it, well, we didn't really have a plan for the additional capital either, but feared that, you know, it might cause us to be less disciplined, you know? So we, we took terms that we felt were very favorable with enough to get us where we, what we needed um, to the next stage, maintaining that, right? Just keeping, <laughs> keeping everything very carefully planned from a cash flow perspective. And so it's, you know, I think it's the right way to go. Time will tell. It's only been, you know, three weeks since we did our raise. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think the conservative route is probably, probably the, the, the better route for us, at least. Well, we are from Kansas. So I think we can, <laughs> a fat dog don't hunt. Um, which, I mean, it's, it, there's something to be said there. And, you know, I, I like that Jasper, I like that approach, you know, that, uh, the, you know, kind of forced discipline, yeah. um, it's risky on some levels. I mean, you know, like I've, I've given a lot of people advice. I'm like, stack up the money. Cause you don't know if you're going to it later. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's merit to that approach. Cause you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you really don't, you really don't. And. Um, you know, I saw, you know, with COVID and different stuff, I, I, I mean, I've talked to people that were in the middle of closing rounds amidst that, and then they watched them go bye-bye and it yeah, became yeah. really problematic. So, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, you know, that's uh, all in the learning process. Now, speaking of learning processes, you know, what are a few things that you've learned that it, you've done a lot of interesting stuff? So what are a few, a few things, not just with Epigraph, but in general, what are a few things that you've learned that transformed you as a leader, a professional, or even a person? Sure. So, um, I mean, the, the biggest one to me is uh, just in terms of being a leader uh, of a business, is one is be humble, right? You're a servant of your employees, not the person who tells them what to do. Uh, if they're not performing well, it's because you're not, often because you're not supporting them well enough to, to bring out their full potential. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, care about people on your team, your customers, whoever else, like a, a level of 
just some level of personal care about who they are and what they go through each day goes a very, very long way when it comes to both building a culture of a business and building relationships with uh, outside companies. So like core to this you know, customer success plan that we're putting together is, is that, you know, that company is an entity. The person you deal with every day is the person that you need to care about to make sure that they are happy and enjoy that experience uh, through you know, the, the long game of, of working together. Um, the other big one is just to look at the fundamental things that make biz businesses scalable uh, and, and successful at scale. So going back to the whole business model conversation that we had, um, there is a blog post from like nine years ago called Keys to the 10X Revenue Club that I would highly recommend. Uh, it's uh, Brad Gurley's the guy's name, the, um, the venture capitalist. So I would highly, or sorry, Bill Gurley, um, highly recommend that as a sort of 10 minute business school on you know, network effects and competitive advantage and marginal incremental profit and all of those different concepts that really cause a business to have a high enterprise value. Uh, you know, beyond just the cool ideas and solving the problems, it's like, how, how do you take that solution and make it really stick and really last and really scale? So yeah, that's a, that, that was kind of a key article. I recommend everyone read it. Yeah. You know, the comment about, uh, about being humble and, and being the servant for your employees is one that I try to live by. Um, I, I kind of. Uh, I've really wrapped my arms around the extreme ownership principle of that, yeah. that there aren't bad teams. There's just bad leaders, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is true. And if, you know, it's, you know, if you're, if you've got people that want to learn and want to get the job done, um, it, sometimes it's you and that requires a level of, of, of being humble. And, uh, you know, now, <laughs> As we move on, we have some comments from our live stream viewers. So let's let's visit those very quickly. So, okay. uh, so uh, our, our buddy Hernan Sias at the uh, business bro from the Business Bros podcast straight uh, excuse me, the Business Bros as they say <laughs> um, out in San Diego had uh, mentioned he said we're redoing our back backyard a company do wife to say yes to the construction. So um, if Very the cool. problem you're solving is getting wives to agree with stuff, you will probably get funded. Uh, it's funny, we're, we're regardless talking, of what that is. <laughs> we're talking to a, I can't name them, but we'll do a press release when it closes, but we're talking to a major hardware chain now about doing all of their outdoor furniture for uh, next season. So uh, maybe there'll be an AR, uh, dining set to put in his backyard when it's done. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Hernan will buy it. If he, if he gets his <laughs> wife to say yes, I bet we have another one, you know, just uh, a supporting comment from uh, Jeff Callen. He said, imagine offering the same chair in 20 colors and needing to ship it and take pics of it all. And that was, you know, similar to the, you know, supporting what we were talking about earlier. And I would imagine that the furniture industry is probably a, just all probably loves this stuff. And, you know, half that stuff too, once you ship it and put it together with furniture, like now you take, take a picture of it. Okay. Now what? 
Yeah. Get, yeah. get rid yeah. of it. You know, you got to get rid of it. You got the time effort. I mean, like, like I said, I, I'm sure that that has a big part we to have do with seen everything. Return rates, we've seen return rates drop quite a lot for company for I bet. I bet. they are. So that, that Which, and a that's a huge, that's a huge expense for retailers. Um, and oh, you know, even for manufacturers, because, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, a lot of manufacturers, and like I said, I worked on that side of the of life for a little bit. And a lot of manufacturers have to make, a, you know, if you want to sell stuff through Costco and places like that, you have to agree to take it back. And yeah. now you're talking about a piano or something like that <laughs> and you're taking it back. And, and, you know, the thing is, is it's funny because there's a whole industry that has formed about wholesaling the things that got shipped back because yeah. the manufacturers, they don't want them. They're like, how the hell do we get it back here? It's not in the crate. It's not in the box. And we can't sell it anymore. So there's a lot to be said for that. Now, I end my episodes. And I say my episodes because I'm not the only host on Startup Hustles. So speaking of which, if you get a chance, check out the episodes that Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her KC, is putting out or Andrew Morgans, who is talking all about e-commerce. I feel like you and him, I don't know if you know, Andrew, would probably have a yeah, great man. conversation. Yeah. You know, Andrew? I don't know. I'd love to know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that you probably have a productive conversation because they're all about trying to help brands sell more stuff on Amazon. So they've each got a weekly show. Now, speaking of shows, we have a new one coming out. We're going to do a web series in 2021. Startup Hustle TV is on the way. We're going to show the real story of entrepreneurship through the lens of real entrepreneurs. Sounds pretty real, right? Now, speaking of real, running a startup is hard work. Fortunately, Gusto makes the payroll part easy. On top of that, Gusto offers flexible benefits, simple onboarding, and so much more. And right now, our listeners, that's right, you out there listening, can get three months free if you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Make sure you put the forward slash startup hustle on there. So Gusto will continue to help us pay our bills because we are startup founders and we bootstrap everything on most days. <laughs> so now I mentioned, I mentioned that I end my episodes with what I call the founders freestyle. First off, thanks. Before we get into that, Jasper, thanks for, for educating us on the many things sure. that you do. And and for making a stop, I know we've we may have flirted with the possibility of you being a guest in the past. So um, yeah, glad glad to have you. Always always excited to talk to many people. Once again, Jasper Jasper Malarney is the co-founder of Epigraph. There's a link in the show notes. Check out all the cool stuff they do. Now, with the founders freestyle, we like to talk. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to either shore up anything we may have passed over or missed you can it's a freestyle bro you can really do whatever you want you can sing if you're watching the there are people watching the live stream so if you want to dance that's fine but really i just we like to give an opportunity for both you and i to to summarize or complete any thoughts that we may have had during this episode so there you go i bought you some time to think about it so go, go ahead <laughs> I'm definitely not going to sing or dance and, you know, be glad. Oh, about that. Boo. <laughs> boo. Um, I would say like, as you go through your daily life, uh, check out any calls to action around AR. You can go to bluedoc.com and check out their catalog. There's a view in your space button or see in your space button there that will let you interact with AR. Our products are, our customer products are coming to Lowe's as well. We work with skills, skill saw, ego mowers, 
uh, go out and just check it out. See how AR works. Uh, get used to it because it's going to be a big part of our lives moving forward. Uh, and keep an eye out for smart glasses as well. There's a huge shift in media coming. Uh, and just you know, imagine Pokemon Go for everything where you rarely have to hold a phone up to your face. Uh, where it's through uh, through a set of smart glasses instead. And that's that's the future that we're envisioning, and it's uh, it's exciting. We might have to do a whole other episode on smart glasses because, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm envisioning smart glasses that make my head of hair look fuller and thicker, and then I can give them to my wife, and then she can see me at my best. Is that is that within the reach of of smart glasses? So she would wear the smart glasses all the time and there'd be... Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Honey, don't take them off. Don't, baby, yeah, don't yeah, take yeah. them off. Don't take them off because we always we'll joke about, you. You'll be first about, having, about having faces made for radio. I mean, overall, <laughs> first off, I'm fascinated with what you're doing. And, you know, the thing is, is, is for those of you that sell product or, or, or things that are, you know, look, visualization helps selling. And it, and there are this kind of stuff is accessible to all types of businesses. You don't have to be IKEA to to get your hands your arms around this stuff. And you know, much like Andrew talks about on his shows about Amazon and and e-commerce. You know, it and like I mentioned earlier, a shitty picture probably equals shitty sales. Yeah. And, you know, there's a level of expectation and, and a level of accessibility that can be grasped by anybody out there. And, you know, it, it, just just keep that in mind and keep in mind, if you have a three product catalog, even easier, you yeah. only have yeah. to get three things in, not three million. And, you know, overall, it's you know, and much like Jasper's, you know, mentioning the the we're, all the world of this is changing, and a lot of the the new habits and things that have come up with the pandemic aren't going away anytime soon, and they're forcing a level of evolution and change in the way people buy things, the way they interact with each other, and a whole lot. So. If you're not wrapping your arms around it now, you're going to have to later. So you might as well step up, toe up to the line and get ready to enter the game. You know, and that's, I mean, that's it. And like, I mean, the, I'm telling you five years ago, these things were not as accessible uh, for the smaller brand. And now there's a lot of stuff out there that's aimed at helping you. And it's a great way to differentiate yourself. It's a great way to do things. You know, I like to say saving money is making money. You hear Jasper talking about it's lowering returns, it's increasing sales. That's both sides of the margin. So, you know, sell more, spend less. And if you can get that part right, you're probably going to win. And that's all I got to say. So <laughs> other than, I really do think we might need to do a smart glasses episode at some point because I, I, I know that, that, some of that technology came out and might have been a little early uh, in yeah, some regards, yeah. and now it's coming back. But we'll, we'll save that for another time. So I'm out, my friend. I'll see you next All time. Right. Nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. See ya. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.